Hello and welcome. My name is Michael Apple. This is uh, my weekly discussion with advocate Erin Richards. Normally, we discuss all things state capture. We're going to divert ever so slightly to discuss the appointment of Raymond Zondo as the new Chief Justice of the Constitutional Court. Advocate Erin Richards, thanks for coming in. Oh, it's great to be here, Mike. Thanks. Where do we begin? What's your reaction to Mr. Zondo taking over as CJ? My frame of reference to all judicial appointments, unfortunately, is a is a political one, and I think it's it's become so since all these revelations around the the deployment committee. I mean, I just want to take a step back and go back to all the way back to 1998, you know, where the ANC, in its own words, said that its aim was to take control of all levers of state power, from the army to the police to um, the bureaucracy, the parastatals, and importantly for this discussion, the judiciary. So the ANC has told us that it wants to control the judiciary. Now, for a political party to ever say that it wants to control the judiciary is worrying, but it becomes more worrying when we've witnessed what we've witnessed in this country, which is this progression of the ANC from acting like a political party to acting like a criminal syndicate. Mm. Um, And and so, unfortunately, I think the the frame of reference of all judicial appointments has become um, political. So, So that's... That that's the frame of reference, and I mean, I, I think what what we what what you might expect to see is an increasing desire to imp- to appoint judges who are seen to be slightly more pro-executive, pro-president, pro-ministers. Um, so I, I suppose that that would probably be where we start. So, in a nutshell, Raymond Zondo is a candidate, and the deputy Mandisa Maya. What do you make? Yay or nay on that configuration for the top two within the Concord? Generally, I would say yay. I'm I'm a big fan of of, of Justice Meyer. I'm, I'm not going to make a secret of the fact that I was that I was rooting for. Her. I think many of us many of us were. Um, but Chief Justice Zondo is also a, a a breath of fresh air. You know, as you pointed out earlier today, a constitutionalist through and through. Someone who has made a significant mark in in, in human rights, specifically in in labor law. A very progressive judge for you know. And I think we, we're all very grateful. For, for the jurisprudence that's emanated from from that pen, so so generally speaking, happy with 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 those with those two. I think it's a very um, a very strong coupling. Let's look at the the JSC and the interviews uh, regarding the candidates, but Raymond Zondo in particular. How do you think he was treated? I've got a very stern view of these JSC interviews all round. Um, I mean, firstly, I think that the, the JSC completely misinterpreted its constitutional function uh, during during these interviews. And we see that through the fact that they actually recommended a candidate, which in my personal view was a step too far. The JSC at most uh, gives advice to, to the president. Appointments, the, these appointments are presidential prerogatives, um, and there, there should not be anything prescriptive or purportedly prescriptive descriptive coming from, from from the JSE. So I think that that was an overstep there. It was an unfortunate politicization of, of the process, um, but but we'll leave we'll leave that there. Mm. As for how um, Justice Zondo was was treated, I think he was treated fairly. Um, I, I don't think he came out completely unscathed. I think there were some serious and some relevant questions that were asked, especially regarding this this view that that 
you know, a fair percentage of people actually have that he was very pro Ramaphosa during that um, during that 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 commission, especially during the handling of President Ramaphosa's evidence. Um, you know, I would prefer to say, you know, he, he maybe displayed a kind of pro executive bias uh, rather than a specifically pro President Ramaphosa bias. But but be that as it may, yeah. Well, I want to just look at. We speak about the politicization of the JSC. Mm. I mean, let's you can't put lipstick on this pig. <laughs> the EFF, through Dalian Porfu and Julius Malema, they came under scathing criticism for the way in which they handled several judges there, but the way in which they weren't acting in the public interest, but in a party political sense. Yes. And many believe that the recommendation of Mandisa Maya for the role of Chief Justice was trying to paint the president into a corner. What do you read into that? And the fact that he then decided not to go with their advice or their recommendation as it was framed. Yeah. Look, unfortunately, I think the the reality is that very few of us at the moment take the JSC seriously in, in its role because it has just been playing partisan politics um, of, of late. And, and that's and that's unfortunate. You know, whether the direct intention was to paint the president into a corner, I, I can't comment on that. That's not at all to to detract from the merits, um, the very substantial merits um, carried by by Justice Meyer. Um, but as I said before, the JSC, I think, severely overstepped in, in what it did. I think that that, that recommendation was, was unfortunate and, and, and far outside of, the, of, of the, the ambit of the JSC's functions. And in that respect, I'm actually happy that, that Ramaphosa distanced himself from that and that we saw the president exercise his discretion. Uh, firstly, I see that as a bit of a finger wagging to, to the JSC, which they, which they deserve. And also a statement to say that I will not, I will not have my discretion, my presidential discretion, hampered by 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 people playing politics. Um, so that's a that's a win for presidential discretion in, in, in my books. Dare I say it, a departure from his usual consensus mandate, consult until death, um, and then he decided to ignore that recommendation. Yeah, a breath of fresh air, I think. A breath of fresh air. <laughs> yeah. Let's get to Ramaphosa's testimony before the state capture inquiry. What did you make of that? <laughs> Look, I must be frank. I did not buy into Ramaphosa's testimony or President Ramaphosa's testimony in the slightest. I did not buy into the narrative that um, he was deputy president and somehow knew nothing, saw nothing. Um, and and I, I was actually just confused by, by the narrative. You know, his own version was that he made an election at some point to stay within the ANC, to change it from within. And then we saw, and, and he also said um, in, in response to some questions that, you know, in having made that election, his plan was to, you know, identify issues of corruption and to offer resistance. Um, and that was the strategy to effect change. And then we proceeded to see absolutely no evidence of that resistance at all so this the whole narrative to me just fell completely flat and and I, I found it very disappointing I didn't see it as um, a demonstration of accountability in the slightest I saw it as a slap in the face to the public who were hoping for accountability um, and I basically saw it as a political spin exercise um, to make sure that every single possible nail was put into Zuma's coffin 
while President Ramaphosa came out basically scot-free, notwithstanding that he was deputy president during the entire period in, in, in question. And that is not, Mike, let me just be clear, that is not me saying that that former President Zuma did not deserve to be thrown thrown under the bus. You know, someone has had to investigate that, has had to take a you know a, a, a hard a hard stand, and I'm glad that that we've that we've done that. But to me, there was absolutely no accountability by President Ramaphosa, um, notwithstanding you know significant effort made to to spin it like that. You know, just because a president appears and goes and sits behind the stand in front of a whole lot of cameras, spouting political spin for two days, does not mean that he's being accountable. Yeah, the platitudes that were engaged in mm. um, politicians love this stuff. Um, <laughs> it kind of turns my stomach. The amount of times he used the words, "We are rejuvenating," "We are." reinvigorating we mm. are self-correcting mm. and he sought to draw a line in the sand a very clear distinction between the ANC under President Jacob Zuma former President Jacob Zuma and the ANC under his helm now mm. and everything that happened under the state capture years we are no longer even we don't want to look too far back mm. we are now looking forward we are reinvigorating rejuvenating and 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 it became a bit nauseating at yeah. some point and I found, especially the question they asked him, but were you not, as Deputy President, complicit in the evisceration of state-owned entities? And he said, were we complicit? No. Were we perhaps negligent mm -hmm. uh, in not seeing that the, the sway that the Guptas had uh, uh, over Zuma? Yes, we may have been slightly neg negligent, but complicit? Absolutely not. Mm. None of this was ever challenged did you did you at times find um, the chairperson sitting back a bit too much and not not probing, not prodding, or should that have been the job of the evidence leaders? Mm. Well, okay, so so Mike, that's a that's a really excellent question, but I'm I'm going to come back to that. You know, this 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 narrative around, you know, we've been we've been we've now drawn a line in the sand. Yeah, we were doomed, um, and you know, they, they were from the evidence leaders some some very probing questions where they traced the ANC, some of the ANC statements made both to the public and, and to Parliament. The ANC drew a line in 2001. It drew another line in 2007. It's drawn, I mean, I've actually lost track of all the lines that it, that it drew. Um, so I don't really see how this line is any difficult or different to, to the other lines that, that, that have been drawn. So I would say that nauseating is, is putting it slightly. But, mm. you know, coming back to, to the role of, of the chairperson, uh, now our, our chief, our chief justice Zondo. Um, look, I, I must confess to having been somewhat disappointed. I think it's important to make plain that a commission of inquiry is not a court of law. There, there is a difference. Um, this is not a situation where you have opposing legal counsel trying to get a witness to make concessions to sort of you know fit their 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 client's case. That you know, this is a, a, a truth seeking um, uh, endeavor, and so inquisitorial process, yes, um, correct. And um, you know, so so the inquisitorial powers, you know, obviously are mainly channeled through the through the evidence leaders, um, but the chair has substantial inquisitorial powers himself. He is not restrained in in any way. He can pose any questions that 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 he that he deems fit, and 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 I did find him. I must say personally, um, and and I must also say there there are you know 
colleagues of mine who, who would disagree with, with, with this. It's not a unanimous view by, by any stretch. But personally, I, I found him excessively deferential, you know, on, and, and I would classify that deference into, into three categories. You know, first, there's, um, there were examples where President Ramaphosa's evidence was just completely contradictory and self-destructive. And in those instances, I did not see the chair intervene to point that out or to ask for clarity. And the problem is when you don't ask for clarity in situations like that, how do you then properly evaluate the evidence? Um, but let me not speak in, in sort of broad broad strokes. Let me give an... Yeah, let's an, get into yeah, examples. Let me, let me give you an example. Um, so when, I think this was on the, on, on the 12th of, of August, President Ramaphosa was answering questions about ESCOM. And there was a, a, a point where it was put to him that Mr. Koko had alleged that President Ramaphosa had unlawfully interfered in securing his, um, Mr. Koko's removal from ESCOM in, I think it was 2018. And Mr. Ramaphosa's answer, President Ramaphosa, was to say, Yes, I did interfere, but it's nonsense to say that that, that was beyond our powers. You know, the, the government is a stakeholder, shareholder in, in ESCOM, and if ESCOM is being mismanaged um, or is in financial distress, then as the shareholder, the government is entitled to intervene, and that's what happened here. And so that seems like a fair answer. Sure. Um, but then if we fast forward an hour to Advocate Sony's um, questioning, we see an example of Mr. Popo Malefe, who was the PRASA chairperson, who we know at some point went to the ANC NEC, to the top six, and said to them, I'm being attacked, my board's being attacked, we're being destabilized, this entity is, is floundering, and, and we can't pull it straight because the board can't function in light of all these public attacks. Mr. Popo Malefe said to the top six, well, there were five of them present at the meeting, including Mr. Ramaphosa, uh, said to them, listen, I'm doing everything I can within my power to try and rectify the situation, but there's a tide against me and I need the party to intervene. I need government's assistance. Can you help me? And they basically said to him, no, sorry, you go and follow the, the, the legislative processes, go and use the PFMA, etc. And when this was put to Mr. Ramaphosa, President Ramaphosa, the inquiry, his answer was, well, we as government and the party don't have the power to interfere in state entities. Now, that's a direct contradiction to what you said an hour ago, what he said an hour ago in relation to ESCOM. So which one is it? Because one of those versions is clearly false. Now, that's an example where you need clarity. And there was no clarity sought, notwithstanding that very obvious contradiction. No clarity was sought. Nothing came from the chair. No comments. That's an example of deference in, the, in, in that kind of contradictory set of, of, of examples. Mm. Then there were periods where President Ramaphosa outright arguably lied to the commission. One of those examples was this issue around the Cage Deployment Committee, where, where Ramaphosa said, listen, um, the Cage Deployment Committee takes a soft approach. Um, it never makes hard recommendations. Um, all it does is make soft recommendations. You seem to draw this kind of line between hard and soft. Um, but but it, it, it is not prescriptive in any way as to who the ministers should appoint. Then what happens is we see the cabinet minutes or the, or the, or the committee minutes rather, and we see that this is not true at all. Mm. Ministers are called to account. They're often sent back to so-called revise their, 
their um, their submissions in terms of who should be appointed. So it's clear that this cadre deployment committee is actually prescriptive in terms of what it does. Mm. So, and yet again, notwithstanding that this is clearly, um, you know, misleading evidence under oath, not a single thing said. Um, and I'm giving you one or two examples here, Mike, but, but if you go and read these transcripts, they're littered with examples, you know. Then there's also the, the deference that was shown when President Ramaphosa refused to answer questions. Not blatant refusals, but he would just obfuscate and spin the answers. Or he would giggle. Yes. He and, would just simply giggle. And there was no, other than some nodding and some reciprocal giggling, there, mm. was, there was no interference then. I don't know how we are supposed to interpret that other than the chair being deferential and I would say excessively so and, and under those circumstances, especially given that there's an entire public out there yearning for, for accountability. Um, and and that, that deference concerned me. What about the relationship? And I wouldn't say outside of the commission, but there had to be some relationship or some cooperation at least between the DCJ at the time and Mr. Ramaphosa in terms of updating him. Now, uh, you have a pretty strong view about the president's role and, and this level of cooperation between mm. Mr. Zondo and Mr. Ramaphosa here. What's that? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, so we we saw this this trend or this this thread come up in the um, in, in the interview itself. Uh, where this relationship was was interrogated. And Chief Justice Zondo's answer at the time was um, that this is a presidential inquiry, correct? And that because of that, um, the chair was under the impression that he had to keep the president informed um, of the progress of the commission, especially if there were any issues or they were running out of time or they might need extensions, etc., now, I would concede outright that, you know, it's actually just a matter of, of, of plain, you know, decency to keep a president informed of, of the progress of his commission. But where I draw the line is personal meetings. You know, I don't uh, think it was necessary for them to be having personal meetings on a frequent basis, uh, especially given the fact that this commission was interrogating state capture um, and that at the time of, of that state capture and under inquiry, um, the the, uh, president Ramaphosa was the was the deputy president in in the cabinet at the time. Now, my view personally is that President Ramaphosa should have been treated like any other witness in that respect. There should not have been personal meetings. I'm not suggesting that anything untoward was discussed there, but the point is, I don't think it's ideal to have that that relationship. Whatever needed to be communicated could have been communicated in in, in letters or other written correspondence, um, or, or between other members of, of of the of the commission staff. You know, um, so that kind of closeness mixed with or read together with that deference that that I've that I've referred to in in his in his evidence is just it just doesn't paint a flattering picture. The levels of public confidence in the judiciary in South Africa, I think some people have done their research and they say that that figure is floundering. Mm -hmm. By how much I can't tell you right now. Yeah, can't either. But we've seen a number of very high-profile politicians, uh, Mr. Zuma amongst them, Lindiwe Sisulu, more recently attacking the constitution as a document how important was it to do you think to to have somebody who is going to fight tooth and nail for the integrity of that document uh, to have them appointed as chief justice and is zondo that man 
Yeah. Look, as for whether or not uh, Chief Justice Zondo is 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 that man, I, I have great I have great faith and confidence actually in 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 the in the Chief Justice, but we will only be able to evaluate that after after his term. You know, we have definitely seen the Chief Justice's commitment to the human rights element of the Constitution, but at the moment there is a bigger. Uh, legal and political battle going on, and that is around executive power. Um, you know, the the Constitution provides for constraints on on executive power, and whether or not the the judiciary and the extent to which the 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 judiciary is willing to restrain and interrogate in, uh, or executive power at at the moment is something that I think that the public has a very very big interest in and and would and would like to see, and ideally we would like someone to lead the judiciary who who seems uh, or, or at least who is not deferential to, to executive power and that's my only my only hesitation with with chief justice zondo is that given what i saw in in the inquiry i am now hesitant and i now have doubts as to um as to his judicial philosophy on on that score but you know chief justice zondo is not alone on, on the constitutional court so we will have to see how, how that unfolds but you know th this is why the role of the chief justice is very important because not only does the chief justice have a whole lot of administrative and, and, and judicial functions, but they also oversee and guide the training of, of judges. And in that way, to a large extent, they actually have a very big role to play in formulating judicial philosophy. So this is why in a, in a, in a time like the present, you, I don't think, really want a chief justice who is excessively pro the executive. Um, so, so let's let's hope that that that's not how how this unfolds. How do you see the process unfolding in the future? Or tell me if this is an unfair question. He can only remain in that position for another two and, two and, half, and a half years. years. Who takes his place? <laughs> that's that is a very unfair question. You know, it's um, I, again, I, I I'm firmly I'm firmly behind behind Justice Meyer. I, I would personally love love to see that, but that again is a is a presidential uh, discretion. We'll have to see what what happens. You know, and obviously just the the mere fact that that she will now be in that position as as Deputy Chief Justice, in no way guarantees her her assent to to the position of of Chief Justice. So we'll. Yeah. Have to see it, what no, it in no way guarantees it, but it certainly let's teased her, <laughs> teased her let's, up let's, for it. Let's, let's hope it's a good teeing up. Yeah. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you about this issue and just go back to this issue of deference. And should one draw the distinction between uh, deference and just being incredibly polite <laughs> to a particular witness? Now, mm. I sat in on uh, former President Jacob Zuma's testimony. And he, the level of restraint, let me say, and you can call it deference, but he, Raymond Zondo is incredibly polite to witnesses, no matter, yeah. no, no matter who they are. He shows a huge amount of respect to them. Mm. And he showed that very same level of respect to Jacob Zuma. Yes. Jacob Zuma launched into a monologue that went on for way longer than it should have. He never interrupted him. He listened very carefully as Jacob Zuma launched into this tirade of intelligence agencies around the world conspiring against Jacob Zuma, and they have been for the past three decades. And he had never at any point interrupt, interrupted him to say, can you back any of this up, mate? Mm. Can you? Mm. 
He didn't. He showed the Great. former head of state, somebody who he would then later drag to the constitutional court, mm. which would see him thrown in prison. Mm. He showed him that same deference. Mm. Here's where, where I would draw the line. And, and this is, I must say, is, is one thing that I, that I love about our, our new Chief Justice, is that ability to always show immense respect to whoever he is dealing with. And that, to me, is something that's incredibly important in, in a leader. And we've show, and we've seen that throughout throughout this commission. I mean, there was some outrageous, outrageous stuff that that, that the chair had to had to sit through. Um, but where I would draw the line is where you have President Ramaphosa sitting there giving versions that are plainly contradictory or plainly false. Now, to to restrain when you are the chair, I would not categorize that as politeness. That I would categorize as 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 deference. You know, to allow someone to finish a tirade or to complete their 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 evidence uninterrupted, that's that's politeness. Um, but when you are, to my mind, avoiding or watering down your obligations as the chair, that I would then classify as deference. Advocate Aaron Richards, thanks so much for your time today. We will be back in the coming weeks to discuss more elements of state capture.